Drury to left field. Connor Joe going back. Brandon Drury now plays. It's Slam Diego. Brandon Drury in his first A.B. in a Padres uniform. It's a grand slam. Why? Because he's in Slam Diego. What's popping? My name is Andrew White, and I'm alongside full head of crew here. The Jelly fan, Justin Ellis, the slickest of slats, K slats, Kevin Slattery, the Marshman Andrew Marshall back from Europe, and the Samurai Sammy G, who's going to be on uh, once we conclude baseball conversations. You can fill in the blanks as to why. But Marshall, uh, right now in a parking lot, uh, tell us about Europe. How are you? We missed you, and uh, good to have you back. I'm good, guys. Uh, Ireland was great. Was there for two weeks. Uh, my grandma got hit on. By a really drunk old man. Uh, wow. Uh, on like a what at like one p.m. on a Thursday, which you don't see every day. So good for the grandma. You know, had to shoot him down. He was very drunk. He was from Ireland. We didn't really understand him. So that was one of the highlights there. But it was great. Um, a lot of cows in Ireland. Outside of Dublin, I didn't know this. I for some reason I thought like twenty million people lived in Ireland. Republic of Ireland, only five million people. And like 40% of them or more live around Dublin. So the rest of the of Ireland, it's beautiful, but there is no one there except for cows, goats, and sheep. Nice. Nice. Um, I like that shirt. I don't know. Where, where'd you get that shirt? What is that? Um, backstory behind the shirt. It is a, <clears throat> some sort of Adidas shirt. Um, I bought this from $11 from my buddy. And I just offered him... Eleven dollars, and he said yes, and he took the shirt off his back, and I now have the shirt. Oh my god! Wow, what a bargain! I love it. I love it. Um, Justin, I know we we talked last week about you moving in to to Bama, but how, how you feeling today? It looks like you have a wonderful chair there. Yeah, I, I'm in my office space, which I've never had before. So I got like an uh, I have an actual desk now. I have another monitor that I can look up stats while I'm talking here and. You know, I got another beanbag in the background too now. So, you know, I, I'm living the high life. And, you know, it, football season's around the corner. If we're giving short story backgrounds, this is the uh, Football Hall of Fame, Canton, Ohio shirt that I got when I visited the Hall of Fame a few years ago. So football season's around the corner. And, you know, I'm pumped. We already got preseason. Love it. Love it. We do. The Raiders coming up clutch. Uh with certain starting players playing. Uh, Kevin, how are you today? Doing well, man. Doing well overall. Uh, watched Tropic Thunder with my brother, Ryan. So that was fun. Uh, that was pretty good overall. My brother is out of quarantine now, so that's great. He's all better. Um, yeah, no, March, I wanted to go to Ireland. I, I was going to, when we were in Dan Still's class, man, you know, he, he for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Timothy Dan Still, he was our very eccentric uh, English professor. I took his class one semester with Marshall off of a, a whim from him. And I was going to go to Ireland, like when we were on spring break, but then uh, COVID happened. So then like that all got backed up and canceled, but um, no, those were good times, man. Those were good times. But, we'll uh, have to um, Dan still stories. We've got a few of them. I took one of his classes before Kev. Um, yeah. Some wild stories from that. Another thing. And I feel like it's appropriate to mention because Kevin is Irish, but I didn't know that about Kevin. I didn't ask him or anything. When I first met him, 
I told my mom that I met a Jewish friend at school named Kevin. I never asked Kevin if he was Jewish. He just looked kind of Jewish to me. And a couple months later, I like told him about this and he goes, bro, I'm Irish. And we just started laughing about it. Cause I, I never confirmed this. I just, it was just a guess. I was like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> you guys are putting so many like buzzers in my head right now. First off, Timothy Dansdill, you know, I'm an English major. I, I had Dansdill one or two times as well. Dude is an absolute wildcat. Like, no other way to describe him. He has the craziest stories and the craziest life. I He's thrown books across the room to get people's attention. Um, I know one time, you know, it's all good now. He still works at the school. Um, but when I had him in my junior year of college, there was, um, he was going through some medical issues. Um, and he got cleared of those medical issues while I was taking his class. But he had a class right before me and he was so excited. He wanted to show the class that he was medically cleared. So he had an x-ray to show. Um, and this x-ray, you know, it was a body x-ray. Um, so there was things in that x-ray you probably didn't want to show to a class. Um, <laughs> uh, but absolutely wild. He like came to our class after because a, a, literally a student had reported it so fast that he had already had to sit in a meeting on it. Oh my um, God. And he came in, he's like, this is absolutely bonkers. You barely saw anything. It was just a freaking x-ray. It's completely fine. And, like, he got in, like, no actual trouble. He was fine. But, like, those are the kinds of crazy stories you would get out of him. And then, speaking of people who are not Jewish, um, the, the first day of college, when we came in, Sammy G, who will be on the show later, my mom was, like, 100% sure he was Jewish. So like all the time, she'd be like, how's your Jewish roommate doing? <laughs> um, and it took a semester for me to actually like have like the um, the nerve to ask Sam. I was like, Sam, are you Jewish? He's not Jewish, guys. He's just Bostonian. That's about it. <laughs> so yeah, the, that's the kind of triggers you're putting in my brain right now. This is like a throwback episode already for me. Uh, I got I gotta much. say one more thing about Dan still because uh, it probably won't come up for a while. Uh, sophomore year of college, I was taking the personal essay class. This was the year before Kevin and I took his class together. And Dan still, I, I love Dan still. He does not want you to be late. And I walked in three minutes late to class, and I was like, "Damn!" Like I was. He was not like he's got a. If you know him, he's got a presence to him. Like for an English teacher too, he's almost like a strict like football coach in terms of how he like influences you. Like he's he has a very real presence to him. So I walk in, I'm like, oh my god, I did not mean to be late. And the whole class is meeting there, and I'm the only one who walks in. He looks at me, and he says in a very stern voice. I bet you could kick my ass <laughs> with the tone of, with the tone of I'm going to kick your ass. And I've never been so confused in my whole life. I was, I just stood there. I'm like, uh, did you what? say, I bet I could what, <laughs> I, I really didn't know what to say. I, I don't think I said anything. I was just, just probably apologize for, for that. But I think he just thought I was like some Neanderthal who, 
you know, he had to <laughs> stay on about stuff. But I, I love Wait, Dan. You aren't? You, you aren't? Wait. And, uh, actually, he's probably right. He's probably right about <laughs> He's probably right about that one. Uh, a great way to start. Welcome back to everybody. Let's get to the MLB. Only two questions before Sammy can come on. Uh, after trade deadline, and after the past 10 or so, maybe even 20 games of the season, would you still consider the New York Yankees a top two team two, in baseball? What are your thoughts? I'll begin, no. And I will suggest that the Dodgers and the Astros as well as the Mets, are all three better than the New York Yankees. And I'm not going to hammer the Padres yet, specifically because of their pitching, but their lineup is better. But it's not quite enough yet. So I'll stick with the Yankees being the fourth best team in baseball currently. Uh, That is my take. Justin, you're shaking your head at me. Uh, Feel free to yell. Go for it. Stop giving Mets fans anything. Just stop. <laughs> I, I will tell you, the Mets are a top five team. No way they are better than the Yankees. They got that Subway Series basically locked, but like there is no way that that Mets team has better quality players on it than the Yankees do. And that's if DeGrom's healthy, which let's be honest, that's a huge hypothetical, which I like to say every time I talk about the Mets. Um, but I, I just don't think this Mets team is as good as the Yankees. The Yankees just have so much going for them. When their roster just plays well, they're a better team than most of the league. They are a top two team right now, in my opinion. The Dodgers are one, Yankees are two, Astros three. Nets are probably four. I don't know who my fifth is right now. It might just be Padres based off of roster quality, um, but it could probably be anyone. Um, But I agree with you, Andrew. I'm not that in on the Padres yet either. I mean, they haven't played well even since the trade deadline at this point. It's only been a few days, but they're about to be overtaken by the Phillies, Brewers, Cardinals, or all three um, right now. So definitely think Yanks are top two teams still in this league, but I I think the difference between the Dodgers and the Yanks is huge, and the Yanks and the Astros is pretty small right now. Kevin. Yeah, you know, I was going to say Mets-Astros, but I think Justin, I was listening to him, Pretty good convincing. I mean, honestly, overall, like the Mets too, they had a tough loss last night where now I think they're they're five and four for the season against Atlanta, which before, you know, was a little bit more commanding before last night. But I would have to say, even despite their slides recently, I would put the Yankees in one of those top two spots. But I think the Astros, um, I mean, they're, they're getting slept on a lot, which is crazy because out of all the teams that we've talked about, that have improved the most in the last year, they've probably been the one that's made the least amount of notable additions, which I think just really shows how great their core truly is, honestly, despite, you know, all the trash can and cheating allegations and everything that turned out to be true. But overall, like they're undebatably like a very great core. That is another really good chance to win the world series this year. And, you know, it it is interesting. Like, like Jeremy Pena, like, coming in out of nowhere to replace Carlos Correa. Like he's having like a very good year, like a borderline all-star type year he had or he's having. So, I mean, overall, like the Dodgers, if they're healthy, I expect them to be there. Uh, The Mets would put Justin just said DeGrom, if he's healthy, then yes, he is without a doubt a top five pitcher in, in the game. 
but it's been such a question mark the last two years. And you're depending now on a 38 year old Max Scherzer that like, I think there are some questions with the Mets. They've been rolling regardless, but I think there are questions. The Yankees, their problem has been in marquee matchups since really a little before the all-star break and after against the Astros and the Mets, they either lost those series or got swept. So recently they have not been all that. They've kind of been playing more closer to 500 ball. And that's my issue with the Yankees so far. And the pitching's regressed, admittedly. At least the Yankees are more exciting to watch than the Astros. The Astros are probably the most boringly good team in like any sport history. There's just like <laughs> no, there's nothing that really you look at and you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. It's just all very neutral play. And they just have to stay under the radar because otherwise they're just going to get pegged by baseballs for being former cheaters. Um, so like, <laughs> it's just like they choose to stay under the radar. No one cares. I don't know if that's Houston's market. It, it very well might just be the Houston market. Um, but it's just so boring to talk about them. Uh, you talk about Jeremy Pena. I'm just, I'm bored. <laughs> I mean, what about Jordan, Jordan Alvarez? Alvarez? Yeah, there you go. That's something. That's Jordan, something. Jordan something, but you know, what is he? He's like a DH 90% of the time, right? Uh, DHs are boring. You know, I, bring I mean... back the pitchers. Let the pitchers <laughs> hit again. I need to see some – back in the day, I was watching some Phillies World Series highlights. Joe Blanton hitting home runs. I need that again <laughs> in this league. I need to see those pitcher home runs come back. Bumgarner is being robbed of his value. It's <laughs> Actually, interesting point I heard. So getting rid of um, pitchers hitting gets rid of some of the values of the hitting pitchers in the National League especially. Hmm. Um, but thinking about what's going to happen when they switch the robo-umps, catchers are going to lose so much value for being able to frame pitches. So the true. Amount of, the amount of value that catchers are going to lose their contracts, they're going to lose so much money that way. And that I, I, Harper actually said this. Um, he was broadcasting with the Philly studio the other night um, and he was talking about it. And I, I'd never heard it before, but wow, baseball is making some rules. That's really going to devalue their players. When you think about it with catchers too, they're already kind of undervalued in that, or in that a lot of guys who, if they want to prolong their career, you don't go into catching because it's such a wear and tear on your knees being in that position for like 10 or 12 years. Like you're probably not in the near future. going to see like a Johnny bench type catcher offensively because the best offensive players are going to be at shortstop. They're going to be third base outfield. Like it just doesn't make any sense why you would put your best players offensively at the catcher position where they could just get beat up. Yeah. There's like maybe only two catchers in the league nowadays who can run well. Everyone else is like a slow, slow big guy at this point. True. Catchers like running backs. Oh, good, good comparison. I would say so. Yeah. Uh, I would say that's about how they're being valued right now and where their value is going in the future. I mean, there's, very few catchers in the league that you can assert a certain amount of value to. And even when you can, it's like Salvador Perez where he's going to hit a 40 home run season. And now he's hitting like basically 200 at this point. Um, And there's just not that much value. I mean, I, I, I can mention JT. He's great at fielding. He's great at running, which are things most catchers don't have. Um, And his hitting's gotten better, but it's like, is he really that valuable to a team? I think he's valuable, but it's not in a way that any fan would really value. So similar to the running backs, I would say. 
that no fans aren't going to value them very much most of the time, but there are some who are like hidden gem value to a team. Maybe Will Smith, but outside of Will Smith, like how many guys could you could say consistently are, Hey, consistent all-star at the catcher position. Like not many. I mean, Yadier Molina is like on his last legs. Like this can be his last year. Um, maybe Wilson Contreras, like, you know, occasionally year to year, but it's like outside of like those three, there's really not consistent all-stars at the catcher position. Tough times, tough times for catchers. Maybe they'll, they'll find contracts in the future. Uh, Marshall Yankees top two team. Yay or nay? Or did you, I think you might've had something else to say as well. So new segment or new response. I don't know anything about baseball. I'm just going to ask a historical question. So my question for the day is, if you could add any player, any Yankee throughout history, who would you add and why to this team? Uh, it's uh, Kevin, would you like to go first? You know, I'm, I'm a little rusty on my Yankee history, but I wanted to look up before you said that, Marsh. And 1956 Mickey Mantle. Um, because I was going through his numbers and it's arguably his best year ever. His season, he, he drove in, he had 130 RBIs, 132 runs had a batting average of 353. Um, before he ended up, I think it was tearing his Achilles. Like in 62, he tore his Achilles on a sprinkler head at old Yankee stadium. And after that, he just didn't recover the same way, but before that, he was arguably one of the greatest players in the history of the game, like in terms of production ever. Power, speed, gold gloves, center fielding. Like he really was everything. And he, like even decades later, you would have guys who, who would go on to be Yankee bus as draft picks, but they would always be compared like, is this the next Mickey Mantle? And it's interesting because I know people will say the era but he did play in an integrated league. And if you take Mickey Mantle and you gave him the benefits of today's nutrition, today's training, um, what could he be? Because he also lived in that era of very kind of, I don't know what the word is like madman type lifestyle where he like, he drank all the time, went out late, had a bad diet. Like if you put Mickey Mantle and his, his fertile prime, if you put him in 2022, what type of player do you get, especially in center field where the Yankees are still looking for production, like to some degree, like kind of inconsistent from Hicks, but I mean, who knows, man, like he's probably one of the greatest what ifs, like if he didn't, if he didn't injure his leg, um, if he had a better lifestyle, like what could he have been even more? I'm uh, I'm not going to go that far back in history, although that is a spectacular answer. And you know, you may get mad. He's like, oh, what? I mean, does this guy like know anything about the history of baseball? Mariano Rivera. Uh, that's who I'm going to go with. Um, I want the Yankees to, I don't know, maybe remember how to just close games all the time. Uh, maybe be like a 2022 Edwin Diaz or something. But uh, I, I just miss the guy. You know, we've suffered with uh, Chapman for a few years and then Clay Holmes, who thought was going to be unreal was unreal frankly in the month of july and august doesn't really know how to play anymore either so um i'd like some consistency out there to just close a game um and mariano rivera could be considered the greatest one to ever do that so i'd like him back justin 
I, I agree with you, Whitey. Uh, that's Yankees have struggling on both ends of pitching right now. So CC Sabathia was honestly in the back of my mind a tiny bit, um, at least prime time Sabathia. But, you know, yeah. R- Rivera, I think, is just what the Yankees need. And I think that's like the big part for a lot of teams right now. A lot of teams with a good closer um, have really solidified their spot in the standings. And the Yankees have got lucky, like you said, with being able to bring in some relief pitching that has worked, but they need something consistent. And with all the injuries they have, Rivera would make so much sense if you could bring him in right now. Um, okay. Uh, second and last question of the MLB. Outside of the Padres, right? So if anybody doesn't know that the Padres received uh, Juan Soto and Josh Bell uh, on on their team, as well as uh, Josh Hader, uh, one of the best closers in baseball, for basically their entire farm system. But nonetheless, uh, what team outside of them, because I think most people would concur that that was the winningest team post-deadline, what team would you suggest did the best during trade deadline? And my answer is going to be the Seattle Mariners. And that is for Luis Castillo, as we did talk about last week, has been an inconsistent player up until this point. Justin mentioned that he was supposedly trying to leave from the Reds or be a trade asset from the Reds for years. And now it's finally occurred. But I think that's a big move for the Mariners who already have a pretty solid rotation and frankly, a sleeper in the playoffs. Um, Without Julio Rodriguez of late, they're still winning some games. They got a couple of uh, um, extra hitters as well to help out their lineup. And it's an underrated, underrated ball club. And I think Luis Castillo is, going to help them out greatly, especially when they got Gilbert already out there um, and a couple other youngsters. So it's a good squad. I like that one. Um, Okay, Justin. Yeah, honestly, if I was going to rate teams based off of short-term trade benefit, I would say the Astros have won even more so than the Padres in the short term, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, Mancini has been a baller this season for the Orioles, and I mean, he's played amazing for the Astros thus far. I mean, his stats don't depict the whole story as an Oriole because he doesn't get many RBI opportunities. I mean, I think he hit True. he hit one or two home runs last night and got five RBIs. Um, I, the dude's going to be an absolute menace. Christian Vasquez, great catcher. I think it's going to add a lot of value. True. And Will Smith is a very solid relief pitcher um, and is a closer usually for most teams, in my opinion, this league and would be a closer for most teams. So it made sense for him to leave the Braves and be able to find a closer role somewhere. And the only major league player they lost was Odorizzi to, in that Atlanta trade. And, you know, I, Odorizzi is good. I don't love him. Um, so I, I think the Astros just gained so much value for so little cost for a team that's in a win now situation. I, I'm fine with them giving up the prospects they gave up for the players that they got. Kevin. I'm going to say if we're going long-term, right? Like short-term, I was, I don't know. I was going to say Seattle too, potentially. Um, but I actually think if we're going long-term, I actually think the Nationals got a good haul for Juan Soto. Um, Mackenzie Gore, like very good up-and-coming young pitcher. Um, CJ Abrams, who because Tatis is there, he was never going to be arguably the shortstop of the future, considering the fact that like, you already have like a generational talent at shortstop. So what are the odds that like 
you would want to get a second generational talent and then obviously play him in that position. So I just think that in terms of what the nationals did, you knew Juan Soto was going to leave at some point. You knew that you weren't going to be able to keep him around. So you were able to get some value back, replenish your farm system. You didn't lose everybody in terms of you just lost people and you didn't win anything. You did win a world series You've lost a lot of your players. You've lost Trey. You've lost Rendon. You've lost Harper. But you do have a foundation to pursue forward if you're Mike Rizzo. And I think national fans, if you're going to take any solace in anything, just know that as of right now, in my opinion, I think you have a good general managing team, a good general manager, and you have a young core that you could move forward with in the future. And the good news is that you're going to get a, probably a very high draft pick concerning where the nationals are and really that, that they have not a good roster right now. So take solace in that you are rebuilding, but there is direction and long-term that's probably more important than any sort of maybe even deadline deal that was made. Uh, You've nailed that Kev. I mean, it's so true. I think the nationals have made some of the better trades that I've seen giving up major players for prospects. I mean, obviously you're taking a risk that they pan out, but even yeah. last year, trading for Josiah Gray, who I think has given up the most home runs in the league this season, but I think Josiah Gray is going to win a Cy Young at some point. Um, Kybert Ruiz bring, coming over from cat to play catcher this past year. I mean, I think he's going to be a great asset in the future. The Nationals are, I don't know how close they are. They're probably still four or five years out from being yeah. a contender again. But when they get there, they'll be – they'll be competing pretty well in the National League East. I I mean, one of those teams, I'm guessing probably the Mets are going to have fallen back at that point. And it's going to be another three-man race between Washington, Atlanta, and Philly, I think. Very true. And Marshall, do you have an opinion before we get to uh, the big football dogs? No, but I wanted to just say shout-out Trevor Hoffman, Padres closer from when I was following the sport. Shout out Trevor. Nice. Nice. Uh, no longer, but, but that's, uh, I like that. I like that. Good shout out. Okay. We are a month away. Uh, unless you consider preseason and it already started uh, from football, not just the NFL, but college, even high school, if you care. So this is exciting. We're going to talk some football for the rest of the show. Um, this is where I say go dogs and go Steelers. It's fantastic. Can't wait. Um, okay. So we, we, we talked briefly about Baker Mayfield last, last week um, about whether or not this was good for him, how it is for the Browns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we, we won't get into like the, you know, we, we always try to not talk about super tough things, but we will mention that um, Deshaun Watson got a six week suspension uh for the stuff that everybody knows. And then it's now been appealed by the NFL because I believe they're looking to uh, make it a full season. That's that's what it seems like. Um, so I, the reason why I bring that up is because Baker Mayfield is obviously no longer on that team and Jacoby Brissett will have to take over for an extended period of time. Um, do we think Baker Mayfield will start for the entire season on the Panthers or at all? Give me how many weeks. And uh, I also want to ask how long you think the ending of Deshaun Watson's will be. Do you think it'll be the six weeks? It'll be less or more. I'm I'm just curious what your guys' opinions are 
And if that makes the Browns screwed, uh, I will say, I think Baker Mayfield is actually going to start for the entire season. I think he's going to start week one. They're going to give him that benefit of the doubt against Cleveland and he's going to pop off. Um, and by pop off, I just mean good enough. You know, it'll play well enough that they'll keep him going. And I, I think it's going to be a comeback season for Mayfield. Nothing crazy, but enough to be better than Sam Darnold. Um, and then I also think Deshaun is probably going to get uh, 10 or 12 weeks. Uh, that's my thought process. And the Browns, no matter the situation, are going to struggle this year and be the worst team in the AFC North. Okay, Justin. Yeah, so I do think Baker's going to play the whole season. I think he's going to play well. Um, I Like I said, I don't think the Panthers are going to have a great season regardless. Um, right now, I, I made a change after Deshaun Watson's initial suspension came because the Panthers-Browns play week one. I have the Panthers now going 6-11 and 11 and finishing third in the division just ahead of the Falcons at 5-12. and 12. Um so he'll do all right. He won't do anything that will cost him his job by any means. Um, it'll probably be the defense that causes that. Um, but as far as Deshaun's situa- situation goes, I agree. Browns struggle regardless. I don't have them finishing last in the division. I have the Steelers finishing last in the division. Um, I think I have them both going 7-10, and 10, though, regardless. Um, but overall, I don't think Watson's suspension is going to get larger unless it's indefinite. I think it's going to sit at six or it's going to be indefinite. Um, The person who is looking over the appeal, um, I forgot his name off the top of my head again, but he is one of the, he was one of the advisors back in 2017 when Ezekiel Elliott was suspended six games for domestic violence. Um, And I don't remember exactly what happened in that scenario, but I remember being surprised by how long, long the suspension was. I feel like for some reason I had a feeling it was either going to be four or zero back then. Cause it was our freshman year of college. I remember finding out we were, I was walking down the pine grove. I remember seeing it. Um, like, absolutely. I remember that moment, but I remember being surprised by how many games it was. So I have a feeling that depending on how this plays out, this judge may end up making Deshaun Watson an indefinite suspension, which will inevitably be a year. And then the NFL will allow him back in. Um, but yeah, th- that's my guess right now. But like I said, it's it's going to stay six or it's going to be a year. I don't think it's going to be an in-between. Marshall. So tying into that, I think the Deshaun one will be longer than six. I think it should be longer than six, not just because of the morality issues of what he did. I think I can see how he really pissed off the league from the Browns offering a fully guaranteed deal. And Deshaun really hasn't walked any of this back, you know. So I just feel like he should get more than six games, um, you know. And I think the league's pissing him. I, I don't think this is even like a, you know, sometimes the league will, they'll issue a punishment or something, but they it is in their best interest for a player to play, especially a star quarterback. I think they're actually pissed at Deshaun, especially because of the full, fully guaranteed deal and just him kind of getting his way um, with how they structured it. Regardless, I think Mayfield will start 12 out of the 17 games. The reason I say that is because I think week one, Browns, he's going to play that game. You you know he's going to start that game. And after the Panthers started 3-0 and last year, just how much 
Sam Donald unraveled and able quarterback. You know, you get the sixth pick in the draft if you start three and oh, that's that is an underrated talking point of just how bad of a collapse that is. And one of the wins was just Cam Newton coming off the street to play for you. So I just think that Donald. I just don't see that like level of fire with him. I thought he was, had the potential to be better, Jameis Winston. He might just be worse, Jameis Winston. So, um, you know, I, I just think that Darnold, he's too passive. I think that, yes, the Jets roster was awful. But I, I think with Baker in that room, you know, Darnold's just like he's making too many just mistakes that you should not be making at this point in your career. And I think Mayfield's going to have a bounce back year, partially because he's healthy. And I don't think he's anything special, but, you know, I just think that they're probably sick of Darnold. How dare you put Jameis Winston in the same conversation as Sam Darnold? Jameis Winston is better. If anyone is way better, it's not even close. Sam Darnold can't throw half the distance Jameis Winston can throw, first of all. Second of all, if anyone is knockoff Jameis Winston, it's Zach Wilson. Both of them have arms, and I think Zach has half the accuracy that Jameis has. Zach Wilson needs, like, a new pair of glasses. Maybe the next older woman he talks to will buy him some. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Hey, the man's a legend. Hey, 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 hey. We, we talked about this. We talked about this. Don't think it's real. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, Kevin, your, your, your take on Baker and uh, how many weeks the shots can get. Zach, Zach Wilson, man, came from clean Mormon country, Utah, and just the, 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 the mean streets of New York corrupted him. The, His the, mother and the woman denied it on TikTok. It can't be real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, no, so I, I think Baker starts most of the year. I, mean, I think he maybe only doesn't play maybe potentially two games or so if he has, I don't know, if they give him a short leash for a bad outing or two. But I think from here on out, I think Baker's going to be the starter. Matt Corral at this point, um, he's probably a year out or two from actually like starting. And I think they want to store him for some time just because they don't want to throw him in the fire immediately. Darnold, uh, you know what you have with Darnold. Um he's not very accurate. He doesn't always make good decisions with the football and he doesn't have the best armor accuracy. So you know that he's not going to be the long-term starter. Baker though has proven that he could be a starter in this league. The big question is, is his shoulder right? Because last year he was playing and his shoulder clearly did not seem right at all. Um, you, you read reports about it. You saw how he played. You're like, his arm has somehow gotten worse. Um, so if his arm is okay, he should be the consistent starter. Um, does that necessarily make him the franchise QB for the Panthers? I don't think so, but I think he is a starter nonetheless in the league. Um, for Deshaun, I mean, I agree with you, Justin. Like if he, I don't think he gets 10 to 12 games. It's either he gets, he keeps a six, which is the, then what comes with the six is a massive media firestorm that that would generate. Or he gets placed on the exempt list and he gets a year essentially of suspension where the league doesn't essentially cancels him temporarily so that next year it's like a clean slate or people forget about it. But if he does get six, I think the NFL is going to push for him to not because the media firestorm that would happen just because of the amount of allegations and 
I don't know, the clear indication that there's something missing clearly uh, with Deshaun Watson that there has to be more. And the NFL knows this, so they're going to do whatever they can to protect their image. I mean, yes, they care what about the bottom line, but they want to care about their they care about their image a lot. I think oh, in terms of how they're perceived, not that not that they care about what they are, quote unquote, but that they are very sensitive to what's happened in the past with Ray Rice and others. And you saw that with Ezekiel Elliott. I I just think that they're going to go to war basically with Deshaun Watson in, in an effort to protect their image. Deshaun Watson doesn't hurt their image any more than their image is already at. Basically, they, the NFL lives under a world where unless there's footage of it, they're not going to do anything about it. I mean, that's why Ray Rice was suspended indefinitely. There was a elevator footage of it. I, I am a bit surprised that, I guess it kind of makes sense, privacy thing. I was surprised there wasn't any footage between all the cases of something, um, to be honest with you. That would have been interesting to see. I mean, a couple of them were like in public, dude. Like... Yeah, and and I and a few of them were in like Deshaun Watson's hotel rooms and stuff like that too. So I guess that kind of makes sense. But it's it, it's weird um, the whole situation. And but the NFL really does not punish players as harshly unless there is a guaranteed form of evidence. No matter how much information is stacked against them, they will not take the kind of action they need to unless they have like footage of it happening. The thing, too, that the league has to do, I think, at some point, and I don't know if this has ever been said, but, like, or it probably has been brought up since Ray Rice, but, like, they need to have some sort of conference or some sort of thing in the collective bargaining with the NFLPA where X amount of punishment gets you X amount of crime. Because I think we've discussed this in the past where it's, like, there, there are some things that you get in trouble for in the league where it's, like, it's, it could be the same thing or a different thing where it's like, it's like the wheel of punishment. I've heard people call like the idea of like, well, you have no idea what you're going to get from the NFL in terms of punishment. And there's no uniform discipline. And it's just kind of like Roger Goodell. It's just kind of like, uh, owners, what do you think? Six games. Okay. Uh, six. Like, <laughs> so what they need to do is they need to have a uniform decision or body that doles out these games because you're just going to get this all the time where it's going to be like, what's the NFL doing, not doing, and it's horrible PR. And then I also don't think people like doing the wheel of punishment game with, you know, NFL players every off season. I think yeah. the NFL is a lot more consistent than people say. It's if you okay. do something that hurts the integrity of the game, you're going to be hurt more than if you do something outside of the game. Uh, it's really just that. Um, at the end of the Fair. day, I mean, you look at Calvin Ridley's year suspension, you look at people like Josh Gordon, who are getting suspended for weed usage, and you're looking at performance enhancing drugs, DeAndre Hopkins, he has a six game suspension, the same amount of time as Deshaun Watson has for his first violation. I, it, it really is, if you're going to hurt the integrity of the game, we are going to treat you more harshly than if you do something off the field and you're not criminally charged for it. I mean, Kamara's too. I mean, Kamara with the situation at the Pro Bowl where he beat someone up, uh, he hasn't been suspended yet. His hearing hasn't happened yet. So the NFL doesn't know how long to suspend him for. And Kamara's hearing is until at least September, more likely November with how behind cases have been since COVID. Um, 
and he won't be suspended probably till next season because the NFL wants to know the outcome. If you get criminally charged, then you'll get a bit more. Otherwise, they won't do anything to you because it was off the field. It was out of where they care jurisdiction-wise. True, right. Um, okay, uh, let's move on. The uh, Julio Jones, the Julio Jones, Julio Jones uh, is now on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, how much do we think that's going to help? Is this a Tom Brady thing where he wanted him? Uh, obviously, Julio Jones has not been his perfect self for probably three years, um, but that's okay. He's still Julio Jones, maybe. And Sammy G, welcome aboard. Nice haircut. Uh, good to have you. We'll start with you. What do you think here? Uh, Julio Jones? Honestly, has anyone watched the Falcons play in the last five years? <laughs> um, Sam, I have like, bad news for you. I, I know your football knowledge sometimes goes a few years back. He was actually on the Titans last year. What? <laughs> <That's crazy>. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is not going to help Tom Brady at all. <laughs> Hot take. Why not? That's fine. That's totally okay. Uh, Justin. <laughs> you know, Honestly, I think Julio does add value to the team. Um, I would say, especially because Chris Godwin, I'm going to be shocked if he plays week one. Um, he's off the pup list, but he's probably going to be out the first two or three weeks based on his injury last season. Um, so he has to add value somewhere. And on top of that, um, Russell Gage is good. He has played second fiddle, though, to Julio Jones before. Um but I think Russell Gage and Julio, it's about figuring out which one adds more value on the field on a given Sunday. And I think that could change matchup to matchup on the kind of corners you're dealing with. Um, I think Russell Gage has a bit more, has obviously more burst than Julio at this point. And I think Russell Gage is a good, better touchdown target. But if you're looking for some of those short down route running plays, I think Julio right now is a better route runner than Russell Gage. So I think it's going to be a situational kind of thing of which player fits best for this situation. And especially with the Bucks not having Gronkowski coming back, I think you might see more four wide receiver sets from this team. I think you might see a bit more of a Rams offense being pulled. I think Tom Brady is going to throw the ball a lot this season, more than he should be. Um, and that's his choice um, to run the offense like that. But you're going to be seeing a lot of four wide receiver sets, maybe four net in the backfield and a lot more passing plays. And I think Julio's ad plays to that idea. Marshall. So when I think of Julio, like what Julio Jones was unstoppable at, that like those 16 to 22 yard out routes were Julio selling vertical the whole time. And he's so fast, the DB. Was like he's big as hell and runs four three, and the crazy ability about Julio for the longest time was he is two hundred thirty pounds and he can throttle down. I mean, there was no one like it in the league. He would throttle down, and Matt Ryan, good anticipation thrower, you know, doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, but he knew when to throw that ball. And there was always so much separation created on that throw. Well, I don't think he's gonna like get that level of separation he he didn't play well last year period he was hurt it was clearly a bad move for the titans um but i think tom will still be able to live with that throw 
you know, it's not going to be to the same effect because that route used to be uncoverable. But there will still be some level of production until you get Godwin back. And then, you know, he might then just be reduced to an outside receiver. I'm not really sure what they're going to do with him on the inside, you know, of route distributions because you're going to want to keep Mike Evans on the outside. So where they move Julio will be interesting. I think they might have, you know, Julio on one side on the outside. Just for that level of route distribution, you know, you could run that stuff. You can have Mike Evans on the on the other side. They'd move him around a little, but not that much. And then once Godwin comes back, then you have your slot, which, you know, maybe they play Russell Gage. Maybe they have a few other options for, for their slot players, you know, until Godwin comes back. But I think when Godwin does come back, you can play Julio on the outside. He's not Julio Jones, but he's still good, solid, not like world beating, but that one route, I think Tom will be really good at throwing that to him. And Kevin. Yeah, I think Julio is going to be good in his role because what he has to be, I think, in my opinion, is Mr. Intangible for the team. Um, He, you know, he's not the best wide receiver on the team. uh, And he's not what he was, but what he can do is have uncanny veteran smarts and be reliable for Tom Brady. Like Julio Jones, like he might not be able to separate one-on-one like he used to, but I still think Julio Jones obviously knows how to get open in zone coverage. And I think he knows how to find the weak spots in a defense. I think he knows how to obviously be a great route runner. And also too, like in his prime, like he was a great blocking wide receiver. So I think like those elements of his game, like the blocking and the run game, or even the passing game to some degree, like, him, you know, finding weaknesses in zone coverage, exploiting that, him being a security blanket for Tom Brady. Of everybody on the roster, skill position-wise, but besides Tom Brady, arguably nobody has more experience than Julio Jones. So I think for him, like, his smarts, his still his ability, but his willingness to make sacrifices also – Um I've always liked the way he's carried himself. Like, I think he's going to be great in his role. And I think he's going to be important for this team. And I think they need it kind of some, to some degree, like Todd Bowles coming in. Like, I think Todd Bowles is going to be good, but like new head coach Gronk is gone. A lot of the veterans are gone on defense to some degree. There's a little bit of transition. I think for him, he's a real stabilizing force for this team potentially. He's got the experience and he's, Got the experience of having to go in every day and have that 28 to three, the reminder throwing to him. That's for sure. <laughs> um, Jimmy G is, <laughs> is allowed shape. to, yeah, allowed to seek for a trade. Now we've been talking about this guy for holy moly, who knows how long, but um, he's not allowed to leave. Trey Lance is seemingly the guy in San Fran. Where's Jimmy G going? I'm going to put it this way. I'm going to be pretty blunt. I don't think teams around the league really want him as a starter that badly. Uh, And ones that do are not really good enough teams that he wants to be a part of uh, because he's always that guy that needs to be on a team that wins so that he can just be the, I'm not even going to call him an X factor. I'm going to call him a Y factor because he's not that uh, necessary to winning games. Um, I think he's going to stay there. He's going to be a backup. And if he goes anywhere else, he's going to be a backup as well. I think Jimmy G's ego and uh, lack of, of excellent play uh, has cost him in the past couple of years. 
Um, and I think he's never going to be that guy who starts for a team that wins 12 games because of how great he is. Uh, he's going to have to somehow land on a team like the Bills. If, if, if Josh Allen, like, I'm not even going to say anything bad, but somehow Josh Allen can't play. Uh, that's, you know, that's the only way Jimmy G will ever be on a 12-win team as a starter. You gave Marshall a quick whiplash right there. I said, I I was giving, I was, I was making a point that the bills are a good team. Okay. And then I specifically am not jinxing the kid because I didn't say anything specific. I just said, if he's not playing anymore, that's all. That's all. Anyway. um, Josh Allen doesn't have any therapists. All right. All right. right. (laughs) Um, Justin, since you're so talkative right now, how about you go next? Yeah, sure. If Jimmy G's traded before the season, it's going to be the Seattle. That's the only team that has literally any sensibility in the matter. And it's an interdivision trade, but I don't think the 49ers are worried about giving Seattle Jimmy G. But I don't think that's going to happen, mainly because Seattle, I think, wants to lose um, right now. Um, But I, I think Whitey is kind of right in the fact that if Garoppolo does get traded, which is going to happen during the season, I think it's going to be to a team with an injured quarterback need. Um, to me, yeah. I think Washington is the clear front runner to have that issue with Carson Wentz um, because they are the team that I think is out there with a quarterback who is injury risk, but also has a team that should make the playoffs because they have the talent on their roster, especially on the defensive side. Um, so I think Washington could be a good landing spot at some point midseason. And then I'll throw in AFC South Titans and Colts. Ryan Tannehill sometimes takes risky plays, could be an injury risk. The Titans are a team that thinks they're going to make the playoffs. Colts, another team that thinks they're going to make the playoffs. Matt Ryan's aging. Great offensive line, but with great offensive lines, if you feel a bit too safe, that's when you're going to get hurt. Um, I mean, that's how I feel with when Wentz got hurt on the Eagles a few years ago, great offensive line felt too safe, ended up getting himself hurt more times than not. And that's the kind of thing that happens when you get into a mindset of safety. So Colts are another valid pick. Uh, Marshall, I, I hope I haven't uh, scared you into a car accident. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts here? Yeah. You're lucky I'm not driving right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so Jimmy G. I don't think there's an obvious landing spot. Just mentioned Washington being a front runner. I think there is a difference in Wentz's skill set. So, like, I think Garoppolo right now is probably a – you just feel better about him. I don't think he can hit the peaks that Wentz can hit. But, you know, there's just some weird baggage stuff with Wentz and, you know, who knows where he's trending. He might have sickle cell. You know, that's one of my theories. He might have sickle cell. We don't know this. There is no reports that he has sickle cell, but he might have it, you know, who knows? Maybe that's a possible yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely That's definitely in the cards. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, with Washington and like Dodson and McLaurin as like a downfield threat, I think you're almost banking on the fact that, you know, you know, almost like F it, you know, just like send it down there. You know, if you can use, you know, Dodson as like a, you know, a hybrid between like the deep threat stuff and, you know, some of the route running stuff in the hands, um, you know, maybe you can have an offense that is somewhat efficient and then also using, you know, the downfield element of Wentz to kind of air it out. I think Jimmy's skill set is not built to their personnel as well. I think new if he gets released, not traded, because I think that the trading aspect is going to be a little hard because of the money. 
and because of the compensation if someone gets hurt. Both of the New England, so both the Texans and the Patriots, I would keep an eye on if he is released, not traded. I, previous to this, would have said Carolina. And at this point, there's not like a really obvious place, you know. So I'm really looking at the Colts if Matt Ryan gets hurt, either of the New England places if he's released. And after that, I'm kind of like, I don't know. And it's not because I think Jimmy's like, you know, awful or anything like that. I think that it's just like it's he's in this weird spot, almost like Baker. And he's he's definitely, definitely better than Baker Mayfield. But, you know, maybe the Saints, is that a possible place? But I think I think where he ends up is a lot different as opposed to if he gets backup money or if it's okay, you need to trade for him. I think I think his market opens up drastically, just kind of like who we think the guy is. You know, he's not going to be someone, you know, almost like Cam Newton, where Cam Newton was like kind of like too big of a star to be a backup. His backup is not just about, okay, you know, how good is your how talented are you? It's a completely different job. Backup QB can almost be like a coach in certain offenses at that NFL level. So I think as a backup, he's going to be one of the most like highly sought people as opposed to the starter. You know, uh, I, I'm laughing because, because Justin was telling me that I scared Marshall. And then I think Marshall just absolutely offended Justin and his boy, uh, James Winston, uh, if I had to take a guess. So am I right, Justin, or what? I said he was worse. <laughs> I, I don't want, I don't want to even hear the Saints are trading for other quarterbacks because that means they have a thought in the back of their mind that Jameis Winston isn't a beast. That's that fair. Man lost I, I, one game last season. One I game. am pro Winston. I am pro Winston with the Saints. I, I respect everybody's defense of him. Okay, Sammy G, uh, where's Jimmy G going to end up? Is he going to be a part of your Saints or what? No, dude, because we were 5-2 and two with the crap man. We good, you know what I mean? <laughs> I would just say this, he's going to Minnesota because Kirk Cousins is also a game manager. Just swap a game manager for a game manager, you know? Probably the probably the same level of play. Wow. Wow. Coming at Kirk's neck. Um all and right. I'm <laughs> tackling him. <laughs> Slick as a slats. Jimmy G, where's he going? No, I, I agree with what you guys are saying, like in terms of Jimmy G, his value. What I think teams have been most willing to give up at, at most for Jimmy G has been like maybe a fifth or sixth rounder. Um, but also a lot of the teams that like, quite frankly, you would think could trade for him. They either have young unproven QBs who they want to try out and see if they're any good. Like I know the giants were thrown around as a Jimmy G situation, but realistically they want to see what Daniel Jones does this year under a new coordinator. Like I know they didn't get renewed the option, but if Daniel Jones hypothetically balls out this year, then it's a question. Then it's a debate. Jimmy G, like, you know, he's 30, going to be 31 during the year. I think you know already kind of what you have with Jimmy G in terms of if he's playing, you know, a good starter, not a franchise QB, he's going to make the necessary throws, but he's not going to make throws necessary that win you a game. Um, but also, quite frankly, if he's a backup, he's probably one of, if not the best backup in the league, honestly. Um but, you know, you do have to be concerned if you're him in that his career could end up being more and more like Andy Dalton and that he doesn't get a starter spot if that's your ultimate like ultimate goal. Um, 
But at the same time, the market just is not there because all the teams that, you know, are contending have their QBs or are going to be legit playoff teams have their QBs. So it's what Justin said first, like, unless an injury happens, I like, then I think there's going to be a market for Jimmy G, but right now there isn't a need. So therefore there isn't a market supply and demand motherfuckers. <laughs> we we didn't even <laughs> we didn't even mention the Jets. You know, Robert Sala's sure. familiar with him. The only thing is, I don't want to trade someone who's had him as a quarterback to a division with Belichick. I just feel like Belichick's like always gonna have the upper hand in that. But yeah. like he's better than Zach Wilson, you know. And I feel like that almost like doesn't disrupt like trading for him isn't like, you know throwing everything that you've invested out with Zach Wilson. Cause again, you know, he's the best, he's an overqualified backup and he has won a lot of games. It's just the quarterback market is so saturated. Like if you look at historical points, a player of Jimmy G's caliber, there would almost always be a candidate that we would all probably say, Hey, let's send him that guy. But I also love, I love what Sam says, like Minnesota, you know, Cleveland, like these are offensive systems that are similar, you know, even New York, they have a lot of similarities in terms of their scheme to San Francisco. The problem is San Francisco is just the rich man's version of a lot of those places. Yeah. And I agree. The Jets take is an interesting one. I mm. mean, I, I've been reading stuff even recently that Joe Flacco hasn't lost the starting job in, for the Jets yet. Oh, wow. And that, wow. That's still an ongoing <laughs> Joe Flack. Zach Wilson's apparently having a horrible camp, which doesn't surprise me. The guy is not a, He's not going to make it. Um, <laughs> he's, he's just not. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I don't think Trey Lance is going to make it. I don't think Zach Wilson's going to make it. I like. I think there's just players that aren't going to be NFL caliber much far past their rookie contracts, um, and Zach just hasn't shown that. So going for Jimmy G, I mean, it's not a bad move for a Jets team, which, based off of knowing Jets fans, is delusional and believes they can win the at least win a wild card spot. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets staff is just as solutional. And I agree Garoppolo would love to go just play for Sally again. That would at least be a comfort for him. All right. Okay. You're always looking out for people's comfort, Justin. It's, uh, yeah. it's very yeah. kind. I, I, just want everyone to, I just want everyone to feel good, you know, man? Right. Of course. Of course. Okay. <clears throat> Two more things. One of them is going to be the hot take of the week, but a top five currently right now we're a month away this is going to change but your fantasy qbs Ooh. i'm gonna a follow-up are any of them worthy of a top five round pick selection um that's what i'm also going to ask uh so i'm going to begin honorable mention to kyler murray uh at around six then <laughs> Justin's laughing at me again. Here we go. Okay. Um, five. It's going to be Joe Burrow. And another honorable mention uh, to what's his name? Jalen Hurts. Okay. Five. Joe Burrow. Four. Lamar Jackson. Three. Patrick Mahomes. Two. Justin Herbert. And one. Josh Allen. So a lot of young guys in there. And I will say the only players worthy of top five round selections or Josh Allen, and that's it. That's all I'm going to say. Anybody else? I think whatever. If you go, if you go later in the drafts and you find yourself getting a Rodgers or a Stafford, 
or even maybe a lucky enough, I don't know, maybe Trey Lance is better than what Justin's saying, or at least fantasy-wise. Um, or maybe you get a Dak Prescott because people think he stinks now. I don't know. I think the only person worthy of a top five round currently is Josh Allen. Um, Justin? I, first of all, I agree with your take on the Josh Allen uh, being the only eligible first five-round pick, though I'm sure in any league I play in, there'll be at least two. Um <laughs> But Josh Allen, clearing away the number one. Clearing away number two is Jalen Hurts. And I, I truly believe the legs that he offers and the offense he has around him and the offensive line he has gives him a lot more benefit than other players. He's probably the highest caliber player with the best offense surrounding him. When I think about the top 12 fantasy quarterbacks, I honestly think Jalen Hurts might have the best weaponry around him. Um, and I think that adds a lot to his value, and that's why I have him there. Um, after that, I think it's very congested. Um, I have Mahomes at three right now, Herbert at four right now, and Jackson at five right now. And then I think there's a huge drop-off again. Um, but like I said, I think Josh Allen's a tier one. Jalen Hurts, tier two. Those three are tier three. Um, the rest is arguable. I mean, Kyler Murray's probably the correct number six just because he has legs, but um, I'm just not sure what that wide receiver staff is going to look like and how Kyler will play with that wide receiver staff. Marshall. Um, spitballing it right now. Allen at one, pretty obvious. Herbert at two. Um, only concern with this is he might not get you that many rushing yards and they just drafted the left guard, so... Um, you know, he might be hanging in that pocket a little more. I think if he had one more weapon, he could have like a 46 touchdown season. He's probably going to fall short of that. I'll still go with him there, even though I think he might actually not finish two exactly, but I think his floor is very high um, because of his protection and just how he plays. Um, I have Lamar at three. I have Mahomes at four and I have Kyler at five. Hey, the you Chargers think any... got another weapon. They got Isaiah Spiller. I think he's going to get a lot of balls out of the backfield. CJ Spiller's son, dude's going to be a baller, I think. Um, Marsh, you think any of those guys are worth uh, top five round selections? No, I think that the, I think that the player who leads the league is not going to be this like gaudy, gaudy stat leader. I think Josh will be very good, but I think the Bills are going to be very good. So his numbers won't be as good as they possibly could be. So even though I think he is one, and that's part of like a combination between he could not be one, but I just feel like he's the best chance to put it one, especially with the red zone stuff. Now they're using it, but now they're using more red zone RPOs. Uh, they were doing that a lot to, to Gabe Davis last year. So maybe that takes away some of the rushing touchdowns. I think that I would hold even more on QBs this year than I would any other year. Um, you know, if I do my projections or figure out how the hell to actually do a statistical projection, I just feel that the top of the top, it's not going to be like I'm a Mahomes 50 touchdown year type of leader for the whole league. So I would I would sell on quarterbacks even relative to most years as a strategy. All right. And uh, Sammy G, top five fantasy. Yeah, uh, number one has to be Allen because he starts himself in fantasy. He's selfish as hell on every play. It's just a fact. <laughs> number two, I guess Herbert's pretty good. That's my boy. Number three, <laughs> Joe Burrow. 
Why not? Number four, I think Jameis Winston's going to have a big year. for wow. And then number five, give me Mills. <laughs> uh, Let's go. Uh, respect. Respect. Um, frankly, didn't have that bad of a season last year, I'll tell you. Uh, okay, <laughs> Kevin. Yeah, so for me, um, I, I have one wild card, but I'm going to start with Joe Burrow. Um, I think the old line being better helps him a lot, and I think that he's just going to have an amazing year. I'm going to go Justin Herbert, two. I'm going to go Josh Allen, three. I'm going to go Patrick Mahomes, four. And for my five, I'm going to go Derek Carr. Um, I just think that what Oakland did, or Oakland, Las Vegas did in the offseason, like – I just think they have really good weapons. And even if they – it's debatable if they get in the playoffs, but I, I think that they're going to be a good team regardless. Any of them yeah. top five round selections for you? Um, actually, no. Like, as of right now, no. I, I just think, like, the wide receiver and running back position group, also the tight ends, like, the value there, I think, is just deeper overall than at the quarterback position. Yeah. If you watch how Josh was used in 2019, I think they're, again, getting progressively further away from that. So, like, a lot of us have said, like, okay, Josh at one. But I almost, yeah, like, I just almost think that's because there's not, like, a crazy obvious candidate to actually be the number one guy. You know, Mahomes losing Tyreek. Herbert, like, he's got weapons. You know, he could be one, but he's probably not going to get a lot of rushing yards. Like, you need one of these passers to just like light it up, light it up. So I think it's a weird year where even the guy you rank one might not win one, but even if he does, even if that doesn't happen, I don't think you're going to kick yourself and be like, damn it. I should have ranked that guy differently because it's, it's kind of a weird year for this. Where do you guys see Lamar being? Around five, four. He's a five solely because I honestly think he might improve this season because I think his wide receivers more fit his play style. I don't think Marquise Brown fits um, Lamar Jackson's passing scheme. And I think Bateman's going to take a big step this year. I'm a pretty big Duvernay fan, and Mark Andrews now is going to have an even larger target share. And on top of that, J.K. Dobbins coming back and Gus Edwards coming back to help relieve some of the pressure when passing because they have real rushers now. Um, will play a role in making the field more open for Lamar. Sure. Yeah, they they might play more actual plays on offense this year, just relative to the defensive personnel. Ronnie Stanley being back, and then we mentioned J.K. Dobbins too. I know you know Justin and I both are very high on. You know, hopefully he's good off of the injury. So they might actually just play forty or fifty more snaps on offense this year. All right, hot take of the week from everybody. Mine will be college football related. Nick Saban has caused so much issue and turmoil around the country and on other teams that he will be the reason that there will be several key uh, injured players on Alabama and there will be uh, a whole thing against Nick Saban. The Texas A&M game will be a disaster for Alabama. They will lose that game. Um And let's just say, you know, I'm not, obviously I don't want anybody to get injured. So I could take that back a little bit and suggest um, that his players are going to be out of line in certain games, trying to defend his behalf and get unwanted penalties that will cost them more than one game in the season. And it will be Nick Saban's fault. 
because of how he's has treated this summer. So in case anybody takes that as I want people injured, I'll re-say it and say his players are going to be out of line on the field and cost them games. Okay, Justin. So I've got a projection and an opinion. My projection is Garoppolo will start a playoff game this season. Um, Ooh. And that will either be on San Francisco or that will be on Washington. It'll be one of those two teams he will start a playoff game for this season. I think San Francisco um, may switch when they see how bad Trey Lance plays. Um, and I think Washington, Carson Wentz gets hurt. I do think Garoppolo ends up there. And I think Washington has a good enough defense to carry Garoppolo to a playoff game. Um, the opinion is it's time to get rid of conferences in all sports and just have divisions. Um, how the divisions set up just so you play some rivalry games each season? But overall, at this point, the only place where conferences even made sense before was the MLB because of the DH rule. But now that that's yeah. gone, conferences make no sense. It's benefiting bad teams to be playing in a weaker conference at this point. I'm fine with a team making it on a weaker division simply because, you know, those are rivalries. If you're beating your rivals, you might have a bit of juice in your tank. But having to play consistently the same conferences over – conference opponents over and over again over a series of four to eight years I think is insane I mean for the NFL I'm going to the Colts Eagles game in November this year that's sick they most likely won't play the Colts again until 2028 and that's just because of how the conference rotation goes for the NFL wow. and I think that's I, I think that's ridiculous that that's not going to happen for like another six years so I think you got to get rid of that conference model and giving teams benefits simply because they played a weaker conference or giving a team a schedule against a weaker conference and simply go and make a better schedule system and a better way of having teams make the playoffs. I think it's just hurtful to the competitiveness of playoff games now. Yeah. Samurai Sam, what's your hot take of the week? Uh, I'll give a, a couple uh, hockey related mm-hmm. New Jersey devils probably make the playoffs. Um, second, even though everyone hates tanking, I think it's necessary to balance all sports. And an oh. opinion, like Justin gave, the SpongeBob ice cream was the best one on the ice cream truck. That's not a good take, brother. I can't. It's a hot that. one. It's a hot it's one. Hot. It's hot. More than the Choco Taco. Oh, you know what? Actually, I was heartbroken by the Choco Taco. Let's <laughs> <laughs> discontinued. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm upset. I'm very upset. I'll be real with you. I don't think I've ever had ice cream off of one of those basic ice cream trucks. Oh, I thought you were going to say you've never had a Choco Taco. Oh, no. I've never had a Choco Taco either. I've I've never had a Choco Taco, and I never will now. Justin, what? You know, it'll probably come back in five years like Mexican pizza does at Taco Bell and then it does at McDonald's. So it's probably not that big of a deal. But I have definitely not ever had a Choco Taco. Nor have I had a desire to have one. To be what in the world? That's holy. That, 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 that's, that's not taking itself. To be fair, that's not the craziest thing that I've heard food-wise. I was talking to my cousins, and my brother said that he brought up something about the Wendy's baked potato, and they didn't know that Wendy's had baked potatoes on there. Dude, potato. it's so good. The Wendy's baked potato. I can get like a whole potato for like two bucks. Exactly. I've never had that, but I know it exists. Okay, but they didn't know I it existed say- though. I was like, where have you been? Now I have to say food wise. Did I tell you guys about the French fries in Amsterdam? Like what they do with French fries in Amsterdam? I don't think I said this on the show. No, no. What they do? Okay. So it, when we, when I was in Amsterdam, 
we um, went on a food tour. So basically we had a local woman come and like show us around some of the markets and some of the food places and give us like some traditional cuisine. I had stuff like mackerel and stuff like that. I had, it was all really good. But the weirdest thing was we got to the fry stand and she's like, there's this series of dips that we owe that you're supposed to order in Amsterdam. And mayonnaise is a big thing in Europe for uh, fries, which I was like, okay, that's fair. But it was mayonnaise, peanut butter, and onions. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. Weirdest combination I've ever heard. And I'll be 100% honest with you. It tasted good. I'm not going to lie. Really? It tasted good. I was impressed. But whenever I think about it, my stomach turns. It's like literally a thing that I can't imagine that I could like eat. But like when I think about it, it's something that I will never crave for my entire life ever again. It's something I would never want, but it's good. That's That's a weird combo. That's something that, I mean, if somebody offered it to me in another, like I'd probably have that as well. I'm a big sauce guy, big dip guy, but that's, 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 that's interesting. That must be like a weird, like world war two thing where like when the country's rationing food, they just like put different shit together because they didn't have other food. So they're like, Hey, like, but let's try like peanut butter with our French fries. And they're just like, all right, Hey, this isn't half bad. And then they just kept it after the war. I feel like that's, I I feel like that's probably what happened. I'm going to have to ask someone that or look that up because that's interesting that you said, I mean, that, that Anne Frank house is there, like where Anne Frank like ran away to when she left Germany. I mean, that's where she ran away to. And then Germany came and occupied Amsterdam during world war two. So, you know, but I feel like, I feel like if you're rationing and you're, and you're lucky enough to have fries, you're not creating dips. You're probably just not having dips. If you're rationing food, it could have been like raw potato. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay. All right. Valid. valid. Mayonnaise. And you know, you just have a jar of peanut butter and you know, you just take one dip and you know, a fry, some mayonnaise some peanut butter and a tiny bit of raw onion. And you know, that's the best you're going to get. I mean, I, I, I don't know historically the factualness, but you know, Kev has made a very interesting point that I've never considered. All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's finish off the show though. Marshall, like uh, hot take for you this week. Um, hot take going to have Mac Jones as a top 10 QB this season, which Ooh. might seem high, but, um, you know, this off season, I've kind of gone into, you know, a lot of like, okay, quarterback processing. And like, when you tier like accuracy, arm, arm strength, like you have these different archetypes of players that are good. Um, and, you know, people talk about accuracy. I feel like that's always like kind of mistalked about, but the one that I think is actually like the most kind of like misconstrued is processing because there's always going to be a level that you don't know about that quarterback, even if you get in the room to him. And the greatest coaches, and a lot of them are defensive ones, they understand processing from a different angle. They understand how hard it is to stop different quarterbacks. You know, a lot of like defensive coordinators are very good at gaining a certain insight into processing, but developing a quarterback is like a whole different aspect of it. There's a lot of guys that I don't really know what they're thinking. You know, you see outcomes on the field, you understand the concept that they're running, how it's supposed to be read, how this guy reads it, blah, blah, blah. Mac Jones, I think it's being really held against him how impressive he was last year because he's with Belichick. They've got the defense. He won a game throwing three passes which, you know, whatever. Um, But that guy, I'm pretty sure, is like an elite processor. And it's not being talked about. He's not playing with, you know, Tyreek Hill and 
and Patrick Mahomes. And I think that New England really understands how to develop quarterbacks. Mac Jones played with one of the best Bama teams I saw. He was my QB four. I didn't fully like go balls to the wall and be like, this guy, you know, isn't good or anything like that. I moved him up the more I saw him, but seeing him after next year, like, you know, he's the, you know, to the top of my rankings for that after the one year, because I think that this guy can actually process in real time based on the signs that I've seen. And I don't think you can just label that guy as, Oh, he's a game manager, blah, blah. Like if you're so good at processing, that's going to overcome like so many other attributes. So that's kind of what I've seen with Mac Jones and, and, and kind of looking at it over the off season. I think he's top 10 quarterback. Um, I think he's going to be a stud. I think he's going to be a real problem for years to come. Kevin, your hot take of the week. I like that. I have two hot takes related to college football. Um, looking at what's happened in the last year or two, um, hot take one, Brian Kelly at LSU in the next three years uh, will be fired within the next three years. Um, and I know that seems like crazy or hyperbolic, but when you look at LSU historically, or at least in recent history, uh, they fired Les Miles really quick. Ed Ogeron, nearly two years after they won the title, got fired. Um, I just think with the competition with NIL, the new teams coming into the SEC, Texas, Oklahoma, there's rumors out they're going to try to poach teams from the ACC. And Georgia and Bama being what they are, I think the expectation for LSU is to be a consistent playoff team in the college football playoff. And I don't think they're going to be able to achieve that consistently under Brian Kelly. He's a very good head coach, and he was arguably the greatest head coach in terms of, you know, record-wise wins and losses in, in Notre Dame's history. But at the same time, I don't think with recruiting competition that he's going to be able to build the base to be a consistent winner all the time at LSU, at least to the level that they want. I think they'll be above 500. I think they'll be good, if not a spoiler. But consistent playoff title team, I don't see that. Another hot take, um, Clemson under Dabo Sweeney will not win another college football title. Um, this is because looking at where it is like reading more and more about what's going on in college football, the big 10 and the sec are essentially the only two super conferences. It's a big two at this point. And the sec, I think I was looking at how much money they made and it's nearly like double what the ACC makes. So when we talk about NIL and the need to bring in top recruits, the teams that are going to compete are the ones with the big donor pools and honestly the ones that have a historical meaning to it, like Alabama. But places like Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, they're going to be the new players. And I just think even if Clemson were to join the SEC, hypothetically, they're a second-tier school in terms of what they can offer that the other schools can't. Um, college football is becoming in the purest sense the ultimate manifestation of free market capitalism right now. And I just don't think Clemson can, has the resources to compete with that. And also too, there's some pushback with Dabo in terms of like him, whether he supports NIL and him being critical. So it's not completely sure if they would, if they not only want to make the U-turn, but if they're capable of making the U-turn. I like it. Way down the show, Kev. This is Big Q Hot Takes. My name is Andrew White. I've been alongside Kevin, Justin, Sam, and Marshall. It's been a pleasure. 
It's August 6th, Saturday, 2.30 p.m. Uh, that's when we are recording here. Saying sweet dreams. It's a great day to be alive. Go Yanks. Go Dogs. Go Steels. Go Phils. Go Yanks. Go Bills. Oh, my bad. <laughs> my bad. I messed up the order. No, I, I messed up. I like. I, I think I, I just went too early. I don't know. I got. I got trigger happy, kind of. But that's the first time in show history. I think that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had that to the T. That's. I, that's you know. That, uh, we're out of practice, but um, I don't know. Shout out Yanks. Uh, I guess too, like big passing with Bill Russell uh, happening in the NBA. Um, one thing I will say though, like if you go back and look up like the man's history and what he did for the game, hugely important. But also too, if you look at uh, Bill Simmons' interview with Bill Russell, I think going back to like 2012, and he did like a cool little like eulogy of him on his. YouTube channel, um, I would recommend that. I think it's super important and it's really cool to look at the history of the game and someone who's arguably one of the most important figures in the history of the sport. Sammy G? (laughs) Uh, I could say go to these sports teams but I would have no effect on them, so go me, bro. I'm killing it. Let's go. (laughs) Love it. Love it. All right, good night. I got it.